Welcome, Welcome to, to X-rated. X-Rated. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. And we are two gentlemen that used to date and now we don't. No, sir. We just get together and talk about movies. We have a standing date for it. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Arrange it every week. Yeah. So, sort of still dating in a way. Yeah, we have a movie date. That's probably confusing for our audience if we muddled, muddy that water, though. Yeah, let's, let's, let's keep this Evian clear. Yeah. You know, Evian spelled backwards is naive, right? Is thinking about it part of the joke? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matt, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. We have talked about people that shun the works of directors, say like a Woody Allen or, or something because of uh, things they've done in the past. And uh, one of uh, your counter retorts to that often is so it's like, well, people still listen to Michael Jackson. I have a question for you. Is it okay to listen to the Jackson 5? Yeah, I mean, a movie is a collaboration of artists. So, and I mean, Michael Jackson was still kind of the star of the Jackson 5. Right. Well, you, you but wa- he, he wasn't molesting children when he was that young, was he? How do you know? I, I mean, I guess I don't. I would imagine that he was dating people around his age, so. <laughs> but, you know, Jackson 5, we're not watching it for Tito. Tito, if you're listening... I'm watching the Jackson 5 for you. <laughs> yeah, you got your Jermaine t-shirt on. Uh-huh. My Tito's tights. <laughs> your Marlin shoes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I asked that question to somebody recently, and they said, well, actually, no, because then you have to support, like, child abuse in a different way from, from the father. Oh, yeah. And the father was a monster, I guess. Yeah. And it's just like, can I just fucking enjoy anything anymore? <laughs> Was it Janet Jackson that, like, at the father's funeral kind of had, like, some harsh words for him? Oh, like, really? during the eulogy. Mm. Like, I don't want to say, like, didn't pull any punches. Like, she did it, you know, very politic. But, yeah, if I remember correctly, she got up there and kind of said, like, he was a tough guy to love. Mm. He was not a great father. Yeah. I imagine if someone is a horrible, abusive star parent, sounds tough <laughs> to love. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's not like Michael Jackson did everything himself in his own music. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, by that logic, we'd have to disavow Quincy Jones. That's a lot to give up on. (laughs) And, you know, Martin Scorsese directed Bad. Oh, yeah? And John Landis directed Thriller. Thriller. Yeah. Angelica Houston is in Captain EO. Was that part of like the Moonwalker extended video thing? I don't really know. It was a, it was a ride at Disneyland. Oh. <laughs> ride. I don't know. It was a 3D ad- adventure experience. But if you really want to get technical, it'd be like the people who we collaborated with after like the allegations came out. Mm-hmm. But like Marlon Brando was in like his last music video. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, it was such just like a paycheck. It was like Marlon Brando like turns around in a swivel chair and like says like, no. And then he turned the chair around and died. Yeah, basically. Yeah, it, it might have been like his last like filmic effort. <laughs> I don't want to discount all those other hardworking artists who you also we don't... still haven't discovered their, their thing that they've done that's bad. But you don't even discount Michael Jackson, do you? No, I mean, I'm an author is dead person. Yeah. But uh, I'm just curious, you know, if you do convince these people that, oh, yeah, probably like probably shouldn't listen to michael jackson because of all these you know 
mm-hmm. things. Just when when do you draw that line? Because you know Jackson Five is a, is its own entity, but it does have him in it, and he's kind of the star of it. I live with a, in a world without lines. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Mister Mister Lineless, <laughs> Mister. That was the guy that played piano in Peanuts, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fast Pass Lineless. That's your that's your new name. <laughs> Fast Pass Lineless <laughs> is a <laughs> is an accountant in Seattle. <laughs> there's, a, there's a shot of you just like breezing past the U scan, just like see ya suckers. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, you shop at that Amazon store. There's just no lines oh, there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there no lines? Well, I'm assuming. Because there's just, no checkout? Yeah, you just walk in, grab stuff, and walk out. Do you think you could time your walk-ins and outs to, like, it would disrupt how the things work? I don't know. I We should try it. <laughs> like, if I walk out at the same time as someone walking in, mm-hmm. will it take notice? I don't know. Could you walk in and then like toss your cell phone over to me and then you could just take whatever you want and then walk out and it'll just think you're still in the store so in your head is this store walled only by volleyball nets (laughs) where would i throw my cell phone (laughs) well there's got to be like i thought it worked where you got your phone and Uh your phone when you walk like in the doors it knows you're there i'm picturing like a subway station where you walk through the little guards. The turnstiles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you walk through with your phone, and then you toss it over to me. Uh, well, I think you need your phone to, like, open the door to Oh, get, get back out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You toss it to oh, me. Oh, yeah, to get back out. Yeah. Turnstile? I don't know. They've probably thought this through better than we have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come up with some sort of Ocean's Eleven type uh, scheme Ooh. that we'll, like, I'll walk in and I'll fish my cell phone out like through a ventilation system mm-hmm. and then you'll fish me a clean phone that i'll use to get out yeah ooh, ooh, ooh. your battery can be at like one percent when you come in and then it dies and uh-huh. so then you can't you're like oh i gotta get out somehow and of course they don't have any chargers <laughs> there <laughs> schemes like this are hard yeah maybe that's why i'm so enthralled by uh heist movies yeah they really, really thought that through yeah <laughs> Usually in heist movies, though, it's not their first first go on the merry-go-round. Yeah. Right? We, ne- we never get to see that. <laughs> the, their failed, the effort that got them into jail. Yeah. Like, it's always like they get out of jail and they're getting, like, one last big score or something like that. Uh-huh. And then they're going to go f- on the straight and narrow. But, no, we never see the one that, like, gets them pinched. Yeah. They're always like, that would have worked, too, if something blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If they hadn't switched to Phillips head screws. <laughs> It's funny that I should mention Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, we should get a we should get a um, a real inventive director to help us come up with uh, how we're going to present this scheme. director of Ocean's Eleven, oh, Steven Soderbergh. Hey! Who happened to direct the movie that we're talking about today. What movie would that be, Matt? A little film called Schizopolis from 1996. Yep, that's the year I have. 
and it was his fifth film. I think so. He mm-hmm. did Sex Lies and Videotape, which kind of put him on the map. Yeah. Like, won the Palm Door at Cannes that year. Yeah. Did Kafka, then he did Underneath. So maybe this was just his fourth film. Maybe. Oh, no, he did the, King of the Hill. Yeah, there's another one in there. Uh, yeah, King of the Hill, I think, was his second or third film. So yeah, this would be his fifth one. And really, like, this one kind of seems like his most, like, passionate or, like, his brainchild specifically. Yeah. Very personal. Very unique to his, the inner workings of his mind, I feel. And it also just feels like the lowest budget, the most independent, really, of all those movies. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, you know, he worked with stars before this, and this one had, like, nobody. Yeah. It seemed like he got his crew to be in it. Yeah. A lot of the time. He plays two roles in it, but other than that... I didn't recognize anybody. Uh-uh. <laughs> Except for, what's his name? The like nameless number dude who's worried he's the mole. Eddie Jennison. He did look familiar, yeah, yeah a I meant bit. to look it up, but I didn't. So, Schizopolis is a... It's a hard movie to give a synopsis for, I guess. Yeah, I don't really... I don't know. It's, uh, it's sort of... Uh, uh, yeah, how how would we start? Where would you even start? So Steven Soderbergh wrote, starred, directed, plays a character named Fletcher Munson. Okay, who works at? I mean, it, it looks like your standard sort of office job be thingy. Yeah, but it's like the headquarters of this sort of Scientology esque uh-huh. guru called eventualism right his bestseller here i am now helped you find yourself his groundbreaking sequel how to control your own mind taught you how to think now t azimuth switters author of the earth shattering manifesto eventualism and the world's most influential thinker is appearing in person february 11th at the civic sports memorial performing arts theater dome tickets on sale wherever tickets are sold as far as i can tell he he has a normal job there but it kind of gets sidetracked by he he's commissioned to write a speech the guy who was supposed to write the speech dies inexplicably at like the photo development hut <laughs> so yeah there are some things in this movie that are just so 90s <laughs> oh my god i really the that was music? one thing i enjoyed oh my god it's it seemed like indie music videos yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the women are all wearing short sleeve t-shirts under dresses, like, you know, under spaghetti strap dresses. Mm-hmm. And the guys are all wearing these, like, blousy, oversized business shirts uh-huh. with pleated khakis. Uh-huh. It's just so <laughs> 90s, the fashion. Yeah. But yeah, another one, another thing that was was 90s was that there is a photo shop, a shop devoted to getting your film developed and buying film, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, a little, like, one-hour photo place. Oh, man. But, yeah, so this guy dies while getting his photos developed, Mm -hmm. has, like, a heart attack, and they go into details to, like, what caused the heart attack. Probably uh, both were caused by a fat-laden diet and sedentary lifestyle. But apparently he didn't write things down. He kept everything in his head. Mm -hmm. So the speech that he was working on just disappeared. There was no notes on it. So Fletcher's been commissioned to write this speech. And uh, his boss sort of gives him very sort of generic and vague instructions on how to write it. Yeah. It should be lengthy enough to seem substantial, yet concise enough to feel breezy. 
It should be serious. But with a slight wink, the general thrust should remain embedded in one's mind forever. But specific words should be forgotten the moment they are heard. I was kind of thinking, because this movie has sort of meta elements, I was thinking that moment is actually him kind of talking about the movie to Steven Soderbergh. Okay. Being like, it should have this like crystallized idea, but when it comes time to talk about it, nobody can remember any specific parts of it. Yeah. Kind of thing. I think that was kind of a, a, a wink to the audience. Yeah. I mean, there was a... a- handful of different things i was like is this just like an experiment in like how to like tell a story Uh so yeah fletcher he's got to write this speech for the guru of eventualism Uh then really like outside of that he just kind of has like standard marital problems his life is a little ho-hum comes home from work and the way that like they sort of depict it is like there's not dialogue necessarily they're saying like the idea the construct of, of the sentence yeah. yeah like oh feigning laughter and nodding appropriately or yeah something like that. or uh you know wisecrack about wazoos <laughs> generic greeting generic greeting returned mm-hmm. <laughs> imminent sustenance overly dramatic statement regarding upcoming meal Ooh. False reaction indicating hunger and excitement. But there's like this B story, and I don't know how they connect, uh, featuring an exterminator named Elmo. Yeah. And the first segment that he's in is just gobbledygook. Yeah, it's a different way of playing with language, because this time they're, they're just saying random words. But I don't think they're random because they repeat some Yeah, words. they do kind of come... They, they sort of make sense internally. But, like, we, we get the gist of what's being said. Throbbing dust generation. Drum tissue outburst. Jigsaw. Uh, fragment chief butter. King surgery mind. Bunny bucket. Precision galley sponge. Smell slime. So my thought, I don't know how this connects to like the the movie, you know, in general, uh-huh. the big picture of the movie, but these two scenes, because they're played sort of off each other, mm-hmm. Elmo the Exterminator leads sort of a, a high excitement life. You know, he, he's got a devil may care attitude. You know, at one point he's ripping the tags off mattresses, you know, right. giving the finger to the government and... Uh, meanwhile, Fletcher's got his like very routine life. Sure. And with Elmo, because the words seem sort of random or they don't make sense to us, mm-hmm. I feel like that's reflective of his life. He's got, you know, whatever comes, that's what he does. Okay. Whereas Fletcher has the routine and, you know, it's not even that the words need to be said. Like the routine is going to be the same every time right so like the specifics of the word aren't even important okay it also made me think of the meisner technique oh right which is at the basis of it it's where you just like repeat one phrase and you try to tell the story without using the words like you tell it with your body language Mm -hmm. and with your phrasing and how you're interacting with the other actors and so that's what made me think like the elmo part 
Like they were trying to convey what was happening without you being able to attach anything literal to the words. Right. And that's sort of how, you know, Shakespeare works too. Like if you're watching a Shakespearean play, if the actors are doing their job well, you don't necessarily need to know what every word means yeah. to know what's going on. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's what that made me think of. And so I that kind of just seemed like a little experiment on Steven Soderbergh's part, just seeing that if he could make at least a part of a film that you could understand without there being any real dialogue. Yeah. I got the impression that, yeah, communication in general just seems like a theme in this movie. And the way people talk to each other... Because then in the third act, we get, well, the movie's divided into three parts. The second part is like a dentist who is actually also played by Steven Soderbergh. He is actually the guy that Fletcher's wife is having an affair with, mm-hmm. which is funny. Oh, my God. I'm having an affair with my wife. Later in the third act, we get the story of the woman, the wife, and she, all the Steven Soderbergs in her life that she's talking to speak various foreign languages. Uh-huh. And they're all not subtitled. Yeah. So we, the audience, become the people who don't really understand entirely what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's not even that the Fletchers are speaking different. They're dubbed differently. Like, you can yeah. see. It's very obvious dubbing. Like, it's not his voice at all. Yeah. It's someone else's he voice. He may as well be saying watermelon, watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in some like when he's speaking Japanese, it's running through almost the exact same scene as when they're giving the the constructs of the sentences or right. the dialogue. But she's actually speaking normal words at that point, and he's in Japanese, but we don't know specifically what he's saying. Yeah. Hello. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, spaghetti and soft rolls, your favorite. I think this movie kind of is Soderbergh sort of just working through a lot of creative ideas and issues that he's had. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that way, it's sort of like, you know, as a as a filmmaker, he, he felt like he wasn't communicating, maybe. And so this movie was sort of like playing on that, just like his frustrations with communicating in this medium. So it's funny that you, you kind of say that like in this is sort of like a dialogue with himself mm-hmm. about movie making a little bit because the commentary on the DVD for this uh-huh. is Steven Soderbergh interviewing himself. Oh, my God. But, I mean, it doesn't help. Like, he's still like fully in like surrealist mode. Uh-huh. And, like, the stuff that, like, he's talking about is, is you know, impossible. Yeah. So, th- like, that idea, I feel like, is uh, extended upon in his own commentary. Because, yeah, it, like, during the commentary, he'd be like, oh, this scene was was very important to you. And it's just, like, a trivial, stupid scene. And he'll talk about how, like, oh, yes, you know, my father died that day. And, you know, <laughs> and he was on the set. And, like, you can actually see his shoe in the corner. And Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, but... I don't know, part of it, like, that that might be it. Like, this is him talking to himself about how to communicate to an audience. I mean, I also got the impression that it was sort of him just pl- just playing around. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of felt like, um, like horseplay, you know, in a way that's, like, can be a lot of fun to watch, but can also be kind of annoying if you're, like, not into watching people roughhouse, you know? <laughs> you know how, like, sometimes you're just not in the mood to see to see people doing that, but sometimes you think it's hilarious? 
Yeah, oh, it's like, it's like prankster art. Yeah, it kind of went in and out with the movie on that. Like, I, I enjoyed it at some points, but other times it was like, okay. Yeah, it's difficult. I remember the first time I watched this, it was like some morning I was like feeling a little scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. So I just like made some coffee and like put this movie on and it did not help me feel less scatterbrained. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, it should be noted that this is a comedy. Yeah. Like it, everything is really kind of meant to be funny. Like uh, when he's just making faces in the bathroom mirror. I did like that scene. (laughs) However, they should have done something about the mouth noises. (laughs) Because it was real. I had headphones on when I was watching. It was real annoying to hear like all the weird like, I don't know, made me uncomfortable. (laughs) There there was other things that just Steven Soderbergh, he's... A very conscious editor he doesn't like repeating information in movies mm-hmm. so like if he shows you something a second time like it's purposeful mm-hmm. and with this like having so many different fletchers around sometimes i got confused when when it was either the dentist or when it was fletcher yeah and but then it dawned me, i'm like oh one of them's wearing glasses and the other one's not and i was like oh this is just like him like almost teaching me to like pick up on little visual cues to know when something's changed or when something's different because it wouldn't make it like a big proclamation that is like this is the dentist that we're seeing now it was just like you kind of already had to like know what to look for yeah and it doesn't feel all that like experimental in a way because it's they're established characters and there is sort of a logical through line Mm -hmm. that runs through it so even though it's weird it doesn't seem like disruptive in that way you know like there's there's a structure to the story and it feels everything feels pretty intentional you know yeah it feels sort of random at first but i feel like enough of the themes get revisited yeah that you do see like a full arc in the story and there's other cues like the music that plays when uh what's the bug guy's name again elmo elmo is driving Mm -hmm. is way weirder than the music that's playing when uh fletcher is driving and also the visual style is different like when um fletcher's driving it's like guitar rock kind Mm -hmm. of sound um but it's also like sped up footage i guess is what it is yeah of the car and uh elmo's music is more like electronic and samples yeah and um it's just filmed it's filmed differently so you kind of like you know we get an idea of who we're following around through that what do you think the significance of the half naked man was boy <laughs> other than to other than to uh, give us our title and end cards <laughs> i don't know it's like yeah riding a bike with no pants on no thanks <laughs> should should i use the ching sound for that <laughs> I mean, we got some D, I guess. <laughs> Did we? At the end, yeah, you see it all. Oh, I guess I... Yeah, I missed the D? <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, it's not, like, hot or anything. <laughs> no, he's kind of a gross old guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question. I, I, I kind of feel like they just needed that title card and, and he's like, how can I make this funny and interesting yeah. visually? And, and it kind of is cool to, when, the, when the title happens, cause you just see the guy, you see he's wearing the shirt that says Schizopolis and then he takes off running and you see he's got no pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people start chasing him and then he gets on the bike 
which we didn't see because it was obscured by his head the whole time. You just see him like zooming off on that. Uh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I guess that could just be... It's like Monty Python almost, you know? I was going to say, it could just be like a little play with like, uh, you know, what you see in a movie is like literally like only what you can see. Yeah. Because it's like we first see this old guy and, he, you know, he's wearing this Katopolis shirt and then he starts moving away from the camera and you realize he has no pants on. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you know, my mind never would have filled in that he was naked from the waist down yeah and then yeah with the bike in the background like we didn't see it because it was obscured by him yeah and then of course there's the uh presumably like the medics or the nurses from like an an asylum trying to capture him that were behind the camera right and so yeah i guess there's like a whole world outside the frame that you know our minds wouldn't fill in yeah and also it's just kind of visually funny benny hilly almost yeah a little bit but yeah i guess it could be seen as that as just playing with like the basic of like the only thing that really exists in a movie is what's in the frame Mm -hmm. i mean there's other weird little breaks too there's like that dude who he ends up being like part of the movie but the fuzzy haired dude yeah that they're interviewing but like the the crew that's working with him is terrible yeah (laughs) they can't like frame him properly and they like have trouble doing the marker and uh the, the boom is always in the shot and yeah. things like that. A person of this type imagines himself the, uh, the subject of, um, of a detailed biography. He's, he's incapable of experiencing any uh, emotion or event, no matter how trivial. No, no matter how insignificant. Yeah, there's at like one point where he's in the bathroom stall next to Fletcher. Yeah. And but you you don't know it's him. You just see some dude's socks, and he's like taking off his socks. It's like public bathroom barefoot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you see his socks near the end of the movie. You're like, oh, that was that guy. Yeah. I have no idea what the significance of that was, but Mm-mm. yeah, I didn't piece that together either. There's also the like, um, so the dude we uh, mentioned earlier, Eddie Jameson. There's like a whole thing at the office where somebody's the mole or somebody's the spy, mm-hmm. um, and. I thought that kind of tied into like the meaning and language aspect a little bit because it was like, if you're a spy, you're acting one way, but actually doing something that's opposite that. But then if you're also the mole that's there to watch the spy, you're acting a different way than you would Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah, and at one point he's like, "I'm scared, but that's terrible because that's exactly how the mole would act if he was trying to not be the mole, you know." I just kind of like that play because it's also how language works, kind of where like intention can be different than like face value. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I just thought that tied into that as well as a thought exercise. Yeah. Now that we're sort of discussing it and like bouncing ideas off each other, it does seem like everything is sort of tied to an idea of how to communicate, Mm -hmm. whether it be visual or through language, despite how absurd it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a lot of sort of doublespeak, just things that don't make literal sense, but sort of make a logical or emotional sense to it. Or some things that are just plain absurd, like when uh, Fletcher... Like says hello to his neighbor across the street, and he's yeah. like, "Is your wife coming over tonight? Cause her big ass always leaves me satisfied." Nice of you to mention her. She enjoys sex with you much more than she does with me. I'm sure she says that to all the men in the neighborhood. You may be right about that one. I'll see you later. Okay. 
I don't know. I mean, yeah, if the movie's about anything, that would be my guess. Mm-hmm. But it mostly just kind of feels like, I don't know. Did you ever have high school friends that were just, that would make videos and then they'd be like, oh, you have to see this. I was that friend. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's kind of, as an outsider, you come in and you watch this and it's kind of fun, especially if it's well-made. Like this is, you know, this is definitely, mm-hmm. you know, shows some skill, but it, I kind of felt myself like going in and out. It's like some of these just kind of feel like inside jokes that mm. aren't, speaking you know that aren't translating somehow yeah and uh i mean gosh if you want to keep this conversation going then like yeah like (laughs) some of the jokes don't translate you know literally yeah it would make sense that in a movie that's all about communication especially someone who's like stuck in their head that some of it's gonna come across poorly (laughs) yeah I watched the deleted scenes from this. Oh, okay. And the, the, the feature for that on the DVD is just called, like, Big Muscle Milk or something. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. But one that I, I kind of wish they had kept in was how Fletcher and his wife met in high school. Mm. Uh, and they have, like, the construct speaking. and But it's, like, and it's still just those two same actors, but just, you know, dressed down to look really young. Okay. And the way that, like, the scene plays out, it's, like... You know, he's bashful and, like, trying to work up the courage to talk to her. And she's, like, not interested. And, like, that whole scene plays out really interesting. I'm like, oh, I wish they would have kept that one in. <laughs> they cut out a lot of good stuff. Like, there's a salesman, a vinyl grower who makes vinyl chips. That's uh-huh. just, like, you just see, like, little ads for it, like, spliced in. I'm like, why did he cut this out? But Steven Soderbergh doesn't like a movie to be too long. Mm. He's adamantly against, like, a movie being, like, over two hours. I mean, I liked the kind of stupid segues i guess all the news broadcast stuff I oh yeah actually kind of funny news stuff was really good i mean it's kind of dumb and it doesn't it didn't really like i don't know it didn't really fit it felt kind of weird watching it felt very 90s actually watching it <laughs> but um i thought the stuff they said was really funny yeah no it was super funny the federal government announced today that in an effort to eradicate the national debt it will be selling the state of rhode island to a group of private investors for a reported 18 billion dollars the investors plan to enclose the entire state with an all-weather roof and turn it into the world's largest shopping mall when asked for comment a white house spokesperson would only say well at least we didn't sell it to the fucking japanese which i was thinking about would you keep the roads then too you'd, i mean yeah that you'd makes probably sense. have to but like turning something into a shopping mall like that's a 90s concept yeah oh my god <laughs> but it, it this is sort of just a time capsule for 90s culture it feels like like this really yeah. seemed to hone in on like that sort of like sort of the the post grunge humor of like the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. Like, a lot of this kind of reminded me of the music of, like, the presidents of the United States of America. Like, just that kind of humor a Steven little bit. Steven Soderbergh kind of looks like the lead singer. <laughs> yeah, they're both bald. <laughs> also, I mean, this movie, I got a lot of vibes of, like, Slacker, too. Oh, okay. You know, how it just kind of feels like lazy, southern, like, hanging out. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I mean, that's every Linkletter movie, though. Yeah, yeah, I know what I mean, yeah. But no, so it was, like, not just, like, the, the quality of the filmmaking or the, the the film, just the humor in it. Like, I even saw, like, touches of, like, what would become the Tom Green show and stuff like that in here. Yeah. Just, like, that specific brand of 90s absurdist humor. And, I don't know, it kind of, it felt nostalgic, but, like, I don't have nostalgia for this movie, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. Because I only saw this for the first time a handful of years ago, at least 15 years out of the 90s. Uh But 
the amount of nostalgia for the 90s that I feel while watching it kind of washes over me. Yeah. And also just like the commercial that they do for eventualism. Mm, mm-hmm. there, there used to be commercials for Dianetics that were just there like that. There were? Yeah. I, rem- I definitely remember them. Oh. Um, and it was like, it was literally a volcano exploding in the background and then this book coming up like Star Wars style from the bottom of the screen. It's like Dianetics. Really? Yeah. Look it up. It's, they're bizarre. Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. Buy your copy at B. Dalton's, Walden Books, or wherever paperbacks are sold. A fresh look at today's problems. Because I remember being like, why are they doing a commercial for a book like this? (laughs) What is this book about? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't think I ever saw a Scientology or Dianetics commercial. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think it's funny because, I mean, clearly Soderbergh saw that and was like, what a joke, you know? Like, this is never going to catch on. And it's weird to think that, like, wow, that's still around. Yeah. That cult is just going strong. I mean, like, on, like, 3rd and Union? Uh, Right by the McDonald's in downtown (laughs) Seattle. There's, like, a Scientology headquarters store. Like, they always have Dianetics in the window. Yeah. There's people standing outside, like, trying to get people to come in. It's a big old church in Queen Anne. There is? Yeah. Where? It's like where, like, Denny turns into um, Elliot. It's in that zone. Really? Yeah. <gasps> like, kind of like where uh, the PI used to be? Yeah, down by there. Oh. I know. I had no idea. Yeah, it's a big old... And it has, like, a huge star. You know how uh, at Christmas time the Bon Marche is that big star? Or whatever it's called, not Macy's. Um, it kind of it kind of looks like they have that, like, but all year round. <laughs> oh. You'll, Weird. You'll notice it if you see it. Yeah, it's huge. Huh. But um, my eyes peeled. I didn't realize that they were in my hometown. I know. It's just so strange, you know, because I remember laughing that off in the 90s being like, what a joke. But uh, it's a thing. Oddly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember when I found out too much about Dianetics as a whole, but I remember that episode of uh, South Park that came out. It just like laid it out and it had like a caption saying like, this is actually what they believe. <laughs> Stan, do you want to hear the great secret doctrine of life behind Scientology? Sure. That reminds me, I need to get my thetans cleared <laughs> sometime here pretty soon. Oof, I think that's what the doctor swabbed out of me. <laughs> but yeah, so he, the speech that Fletcher comes up with kind of hits the mark of the instructions that he was given. Like, it has to be full of data, but nothing verifiable. It kind of reminded me of the Sphinx from Mystery Men. Eventualism isn't designed to answer all questions. It's designed to question all answers. It's not about healing pain. It's about the pain of healing. Okay, am I the only one who finds these sayings just a little bit formulaic? I thought it was weird, the uh, the assassination attempt. Mm-hmm. 90s movies and violence were... They had a weird relationship, I kind of feel. How uh, so? I just feel like... There was something about violence in the 90s that either felt more visceral or more random. I don't know. It it just always strikes me more so in 90s movies than anywhere else. Like Hmm. when violence happens, it always seems very, I don't know, shocking to me. I don't know why. Okay. Uh, Because that was out of nowhere. I really was not expecting something of that nature, even though he's going around punching people for no reason. (laughs) Um, And... uh, it felt a little out of place, too, I thought. Kind of. I mean, he didn't die. Right, right, right. 
Uh, and I like when he's in the hospital and they're listing off all these politicians, some of which are like still around today. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they say, Senator Feinstein, Senator McCard. Yeah, that was pretty good. I'll take meat over flowers any day. <laughs> what if he was saying a uh, collection of fine flowers, like um, corn, uh, <laughs> wheat, corn a flower? You can make corn flour. Um, almond flour. Now you're talking like a character in the movie. <laughs> Send him flowers. What did you think of Steven Soderbergh as an actor? Not bad. Yeah. Yeah, actually. I kind of, I kind of felt like he did an all right job myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of sad that he's not in more stuff. Honestly. Yeah, I liked, uh, and I, I read later that a lot of it was improv. So Makes was sense. Like, yeah, yeah. But it was like, oh, for improv, that's actually he's doing a pretty good job. Yeah, the, the whole movie just kind of strikes me as almost like an FX mentality show where it's like FX, the, the station, yeah. will let people do whatever they want. Yeah. They'll just give you no money. Like, that's their philosophy. Like, I see. You got 10 episodes a season, do whatever the hell you want, you're getting nothing. <laughs> but, you know, that's brought us It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's brought us Louie. Um other shows archer probably oh yeah archer i think is fx i have a question for you okay Uh, a big question or regular question mm, yeah we'll make it a big question okay along the lines of steven soderbergh being a good actor steven soderbergh in this movie hot or not I would, in fact, hit that. Yeah. I think I would, too. Yeah. I was surprised. <laughs> You're at taking myself. Back a little bit. It's like, yeah, there's something working there, and I don't know what it is. He's tall. He's lean. He's kind of goofy. Um, he jacks off at work, though. I guess that's a notch against him. Yeah. But, yeah, overall, like, I don't know if I'd chase that. No. But like, I probably I probably wouldn't say no. No, I don't think I'd say no, either. Yeah, I I would hit that. Okay, yeah. Maybe that's clouding my judgment on how good of an actor he is. But. <laughs> it's possible. That ha- that has happened in the past. What's up, Charlie Hunnam? <laughs> <laughs> I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. Yeah, go for it. Oh, one, one other, like, stupid interjection thing that I thought was really funny but really just didn't have a place in this movie was the, like scene for like where the lawyer for racehorses comes out and it's like i'm just going to make this brief statement on behalf of arhadl the spreading of these erroneous and offensive descriptions has gone on for decades and we find ourselves once again having to make a public statement racehorses do not urinate more frequently or at greater length than non-racing horses or for that matter any mammal of comparable size this organized, publicly sanctioned slander must stop. That's, that's kind of stupid. And um, it really, if I stretch to give it a point, it's sort of like, you know, that's a that's an idiom, right? You like, I have to piss like a racehorse. Yeah. So, like, he's just sort kind of pointing out the absurdity of language in that way where it's like, if we take this literally, this would be the logical conclusion of it. See, I dissected it like I was like, no, I think racehorses do pee more because they're racing so much. They must drink more water. Oh, yeah. And so like they would pee more frequently or at least in longer intervals. Or they just got a um, the the jockey wants them to have an empty bladder when they run. So before mm. their race, they're just like, do it again. I mean, my only real reference of someone actually saying that 
is from Mrs. Doubtfire. Can I help you, man? Oh, sorry I'm late, but after all those scotches, I had to piss like a racehorse. Somebody in college changed it. Well, I don't know why, but I picked this up from them. They they started saying a Russian racehorse, and then for some reason, somebody switched it to farm llama. <laughs> so they started saying I have to piss like a Russian farm llama, and now that's what I say. Are there different types of llamas? I imagine, yeah, there's probably farm llamas, there's city llamas, there's a... Uh... Did you say llama or llama? This movie's uh, making uh, us talk <laughs> like the characters in it. Defensive llamas objection. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of llamas, so I imagine... Mama llamas. Mama <laughs> Mama Llama Ding Dongs. <laughs> Those ones inhabit the uh, territory of Wazoo, yeah. right? <laughs> they're, they're from Wazoo, yeah. <laughs> they all drive three-wheeled trucks. <laughs> it's a magical land. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this movie kind of broke our brain a little bit. <laughs> no, Jesus. People are going to think we're stoned, but... We've both had like a single gin and tonic. It's just hard to talk about this movie. We've been much drunker during <laughs> other discussions and sounded much better. Overall, I mean, it's pretty fun. It's yeah, kind of weird. It, it's real weird. It's very scatterbrained. I mean, it's a movie called Schizopolis. Yeah. I don't think you could go into it really trying to think that you're going to get a straightforward, normal movie. So in, in the context of, you know, this hard art season that we're doing, I hesitate to call this art. Okay. Uh, I would. I would. I think it's fun experimenting. So it's fart. It's yeah. Fun art. Yes. It's sort of like, like I said, I think I, I kind of see it as like the equivalent of, uh, you know, film roughhousing. Basically, he's just like playing around, and that makes it more difficult than the past movies we've done to sort of just like let it wash over you when you don't understand what's going on. Okay. In the, the past three that we've done, you know, you, you can, like, if you don't understand, just be like, well, whatever, I'll just tune out and it'll kind of, I'll figure it out. Um, this movie was a little harder to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, when I picked this is that all the previous hard art has been fairly serious. Yeah. Duke of Burgundy had humor or brevity to it, you know, here and there. But I was like, I want to pick one where art can also be funny. And so... You know, sort of like true stories, I guess, would be like the ultimate like art being funny, like in my head a little bit. Charlie Kaufman can do it really well, too. I was mm-hmm. thinking about choosing one of his, too, but I figure we'll get to Charlie Kaufman one day. And so, yeah, I just wanted to choose something because it is it is very experimental and it does just really feel like a passion of Steven Soderbergh. But I just started thinking, I'm like, OK, we got Charlie Kaufman, we got, you know, David Byrne. That's like the end of like fun art. Yeah, I think it's maybe because like when you make films, it still requires a large amount of people to make them, really. Mm-hmm. And so to convince somebody or a, a good group of people that like this strange thing that I'm making is worthy of your time, you kind of have to keep it serious. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this one, like it seemed like he just had a crew of five people and then they'd pull in two or three actors every day and do something, you know? So like you didn't have to convince as many people. Yeah. So this was his fifth film, but it was like, this one was definitely the lowest budget. Yeah. So it just, it just, it strikes me like, yeah, there must've been some reason as to why he kept it. So shoestring, I guess. Yeah. But the, you know, and then the case of like David Byrne and true story, like he had proven himself as such a, uh, 
magnetic force musically. And then, you know, on the heels of uh, Stop Making Sense, the success of that, Warner Brothers was just like, here's some fucking money. Go make a movie. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't even question it. So he lucked out in that way. But um, yeah, it's got to be harder to convince somebody that this art I'm making is also funny. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like that's difficult to get investors for. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like to say like, yeah, like this is funny and it's absurd. That basically just means that it has no mainstream value. Yeah. And humor's so subjective anyway, you know? Yeah. That unless you're you're really swinging for the fences, <laughs> no one wants to finance it. Because, like, if we think of, like, other arty directors who've done comedies, like, even their comedies seem sort of straightforward. Like, you know, Kubrick, when he did a comedy, mm-hmm. Dr. Strangelove isn't, I wouldn't say is, like, absurdist or expressionist or anything like that. Like, yeah, it, it's a very well-done movie. Like, I'm not going to deny that, but it's pretty straightforward. It's not as you know, capital A arty as The Shining or Clockwork Orange or even some of his earlier stuff. Like I'd say The Killing or Paths of Glory is artier than uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So I don't know. There must be something there that that makes it hard to be both those things at the same time. Mm -hmm. I guess you get sort of, uh, I mean, Mel Brooks, if you think of like Blazing Saddles or something like that, that kind of gets arty near the end yeah but uh it's you know like it's in like the meta aspect of things yeah but that's not the thrust of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah and even in the case of like david burns true stories i don't know if that was the success warner brothers was hoping it would (laughs) be i think they were probably like what the fuck (laughs) and they're like and this ends david burns (laughs) cinematic career you get no more money from us (laughs) let's start a movie studio or releasing company that only releases Funny hard art. Okay. Fart. <laughs> With an H. Yeah. F H A R T. Yeah. That's the name of our distribution company. Hashtag fart. <laughs> fart. Fart. And, uh, and because like farts, it can be hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful we've birthed a new (laughs) releasing company out of this thanks Soderbergh fart solely owned (laughs) uh, distribution company owned by Mm x-rated LLC yeah and if anybody wants to make a promotional video for uh, (laughs) fart uh, please feel free to make it arty and funny I like this I'm gonna really try and work fart (laughs) into the lexicon (laughs) we'll get it out there any final thoughts uh, no, I think we covered my final thoughts. It's just farty movies are, are hard to do. So anyway, what do we got coming up next week? This next pick, I decided to take it to the people. I was having trouble deciding between three movies and they all were pretty similar. They're all early 80s musicals. So I took to Twitter and did a poll. I was neck and neck for a while. And I wasn't sure exactly how it was going to work out. But uh, those deadbeats swooped in at the last minute, put their vote in, and uh, made it count. We're going to watch Rock and Rule, which is a 1983 animated rock and roll odyssey for adults with the voice talents of, get ready, 
Debbie Harry, Lou Reed, Iggy Pop, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Cheap Trick. Like, they contributed songs to it, or? Songs and singing. Songs and singing? Yeah. Like, Lou Reed was like, yeah, you can use Walk on the Wild Side, or like, he actually sang. No, he sang a song and wrote it for this thing. Whoa. Yeah. It's nuts. How is this not, like, more well-known? It's really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I realized once the poll was over that I think this was actually the movie I was pulling for anyway. Okay. So I'm kind of excited that this is the one that came out. Thanks, Deadbeats. Uh, Let's plug our junk. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. That way you can participate in uh, future polls, perhaps. Because there will be future polls. Go ahead and hop on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review, a rating, a subscription, all that jazz. It just helps get get our podcast spread amongst the land. And it just generally makes me feel good when I see a new star reveal. Mm, we both do. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. It's the best way to find out what's coming up next. And also to uh, yibber yabber at us about our choices that, that we're picking. And uh, go to our new website, xratedmovies.com. It's literally got everything we've ever done on there. It's looking sharp, too, by the way. You're keeping it up real well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, probably from the ease of the Squarespace design. Yes, Squarespace. I just, I don't know what I'd do without it. Go to squarespace.com slash xrated for your 0% discount. <laughs> oh, we also have an email real fast if you want to send us emails. And that is x.rated.movies at gmail.com. We're happy to hawk your junk for a minimum fee. All right. We'll, uh, we'll be back here next week with the 1983 Canadian animated rock musical, oh. Rock oh. and Rule. Oh, this is why democracy doesn't work. <laughs> he said that after Z, too. <laughs> All right. Bye. 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 <laughs>